I invite you at this time to turn to our scripture for today. Uh, it comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, um, and you can find it on page 200 in our Pew Bibles. Um, so that's Colossians, chapter 2, and I will start reading at verse 6. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Church, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, may this truly be your word to us this day. We thank you beyond measure for the word of God that is in our midst. And God, we pray that as we hear your word again this day, that we may have the courage and the grace to adjust our lives accordingly. God, we give you thanks for the ways that you have spoken your will into this world. We give you thanks for the written word that is such a treasure to each one of us and how in that written word we find your will for our lives. And we give you thanks especially for the living word, Jesus Christ, who is among us and present right now through the glory of his resurrection power, seeking to fill us again with his spirit. So God, I ask that you will give each one of us ears to hear what you are saying to us this day. Take us and make us more and completely your own than we have ever been before. Fill us with your spirit in such a way that when the world around us experiences us, they will be experiencing you. We ask all of these things in the powerful name and person and spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. I know that my wife would tell me to not let it bother me. But I'm going to confess to you today, it bothers me. There's not a lot of things that bother me, actually, about life. But this one thing especially has been bothering me in, in recent weeks. And you may think it's a minor thing, but in it may be I'm still greatly bothered by it. It seems like in recent weeks, every time I go to the grocery store and I'm checking out the grocery store, 
and the cashier finishes his or her work with me, and I always say thank you to anyone that's serving me, the cashier, and it's usually been a young person, responds to my thank you with no problem. It shouldn't bother me, but it bothers me. At that point, I want to say, well, it was not my intention (laughs) to be a problem. That's not the reason I came to the grocery store. I I use this try to calm my own self down by being grateful that at that point, the cashier did not say to me, no problem, dude. (laughs) I think the reason it bothers me so much is because of the high, high value I put on words, both spoken and written words. Particularly in the Christian community, we know that words are so important. We're people of the book, a written book, and we know that words are so important. And when we read the book, we see that God spoke creation into existence in Genesis 1 and 2. We also read in the book that when God came to visit us in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus was the Word of God dwelling among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word took flesh and tabernacled among us. So we in the Christian community, we know how, how important words are. Now, I know we're in a culture. We're in a culture where we are inundated with words, and that's why perhaps words have become so cheap in our culture. I just told you at the beginning of the service that we can stay connected through podcast and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and emails, and that's all wonderful, but perhaps... We're so surrounded by words that words have become cheap in our culture. Particularly those of us in the Christian faith, we know the power of words. We know that words create worlds. We know that words, we know that words create reality. That's why it's really important to pay attention to the way we use words. We need to pay attention to the way we speak words or or email words or write words or tweet words. Words are so important, particularly those of us in the Christian faith who follow a Savior that's called the living word. I guess that's why it bothers me when I say thank you and they say, no problem. I don't think they meant that it was not a problem. I hope they didn't anticipate me being one. I doubt that's what they mean by that, but we need to understand the power of words. Sometimes we're so inundated with words in this culture, we fail to even pay attention to what we say or what we hear, and it gets harder and harder and harder for us to listen in the midst of the cacophony of all the words swelling around our heads. I want us to pay particularly close attention this morning to the words that the Apostle Paul wrote 
to the church at Colossae. You heard Jacob read from the letter of the Colossians a few moments ago. I particularly want to draw your attention to verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2 of Colossians. I want you to pay particularly close attention to what it was that Paul wrote, the words he used, because they're important. I want you to pay particularly close attention to what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, and he writes today to us. You notice in the text it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him. He knows that the Christian faith had been planted there in that cosmopolitan, metropolitan city of Colossae in ancient Asia Minor in present-day Turkey. He knew the church had planted the Christian faith there, the people of God had planted the Christian faith there. That's why he said to them, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him. The word he used there for, for received Christ Jesus the Lord doesn't mean simply that they accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. And that's important. I hope that each one of us in this place today have truly accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But the word received here means more than just a cognitive acceptance of what Jesus has done or a cognitive acceptance of the forgiveness that's ours in Jesus Christ. The word here received in the Greek is lambano and it means to have received the teaching or the tradition concerning Jesus Christ the Lord. So Paul here is reminding them of that rich apostolic tradition that told them who Jesus is and how that understanding of who Jesus is radically changes our life, radically changes every area of our lives. He is reminding them of the faith that was delivered once by the apostles to the church, that apostolic faith that we continue to guard and pass down from generation to generation to generation. And it's a precious faith. And he's reminding them that they have received the Jesus that the apostles taught. They received the rich part of that tradition that the apostles taught. I think he's reminding them to remember all that they know about the Christ of the Bible. The Christ that people like Peter and Paul and John presented to them there in Colossae. We need to remember, church, that we have a remarkable gift. We have a remarkable power. We have a remarkable right to receive, really receive, Jesus Christ. Or, frightening, fright, in a frightening way, we have the right to reject Jesus Christ. But we do not have the right to modify Jesus Christ. It's really clear in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and the letters, the epistles, and concluding the book of Revelation, who Jesus Christ is. And layer upon layer upon layer, these documents teach us about Jesus and this is the Jesus the tradition that's being handed down through those earliest apostles and this is the Jesus Christ the Lord that Paul is reminding the Colossians to 
remember. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. And notice he uses all three words or titles. Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ is a title. It means anointed. This Jesus was the anointed one of God who came into human history as God's agent to do God's work in the world. He is Christ, the anointed one, Christos. He's Jesus, Yeshua. He is, he is the one whose very name declares to human history that Yah, or God, saves. The name Jesus, and that was the name he had been given by his parents. The name Jesus declares to the world, God saves, Yahweh saves. Christ, title, Jesus, name, both meaning very important things. But then Paul at this point makes sure to say Christ Jesus, the Lord, the Lord. You could actually use the grammar here in the Greek to say Christ Jesus who is the Lord, Christ Jesus as the Lord. He wants to make sure they remember that this Christ Jesus is Lord. And when you look back into the Old Testament, we know this is review for most of us. When we look back into the Old Testament, we see the word Lord used over and over in the Old Testament. And the word Lord was used only for one person, God. So the word Lord means master, it means ruler, but it also references God. So Jesus Christ is God incarnate walking on this earth, the time when God visited human history. So, Paul is reminding the Colossian Christians, as you therefore have really received the teaching and the tradition about Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted, that's an agricultural term. Build up, that's an architectural term in him. And established, that's a legal term in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding always in thanksgiving. And then he goes on in this text to talk about what it is that can draw us away. Draw us away from living a life rooted and grounded and built up and established in this Jesus. He talks about uh, being kidnapped through the philosophies and the empty deceit of this world, the human traditions of this world, the elemental or base spirits of this world. But then he goes on to remind them, for in him, in Jesus, the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you, that's me and you, you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. So Paul here is saying that in this person, Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's the New Testament image of Jesus Christ. But then the next verse is almost more startling for me when he says to us, we have come to fullness in him. John Wesley, a name that we all should know, John Wesley said that Christ was full of God and now we can be full of Christ. And that's what makes life worth living. That's what changes everything about us. That's what changes everything about life. Paul was addressing a problem in the church at Colossae. And the problem of the church at Colossae that Paul was addressing went something like this. And perhaps we can connect the dots and see how in some ways the same problem is still with us today, 2,000 years later. The church in Colossae that had Christ preached to them, they received the teaching and the traditions of Jesus Christ from the apostles, 
for whatever reasons, they were being seduced away from the apostolic vision of who Jesus was. And we know enough about the, the heresy, the false teaching of Colossae, to say that it went something like this. There were people who came into the church who said, that's all fine and good, what John and Peter and Paul taught you, but we can offer you more enlightenment. We can take you deeper than that simple faith in Jesus Christ that they taught you. And we know what they taught you, but we can say more. We can add to the faith they declared. We can take away some of the faith they declared to make room for what we want to add to the faith they declared. And there's always been that tendency among human beings to take the Christ of the Bible, the Christ that was proclaimed among the apostles, the, the Christ that created great consensus in the early church, and add or detract from this Christ of the Bible. It's still there today. The primary way we're pulled away from Christ is by all the other idols that we've created in life. And I think I've quoted to you before that it was John Calvin who said that the human heart is an idol-making machine. And the human heart really is an idol-making machine. We create idols so easily in our lives. We need to make sure we understand what an idol is. Now, I know in the Old Testament, they, were, they had idols like Baal and Asherah, and they created Asherah poles, and they created high places there in um, Israel and Judah where they would worship these pagan gods. And from time to time, uh, the pagan gods and the worship and the serving of the pagan gods would pull the people of, of Israel away from the true worship of the true and living God. And God would have to send a prophet like an Amos or Jeremiah or one of the prophets to pull them back to the worship of the one true and living God. Uh, we don't have the bells and the Asherahs and the Asherah poles. Maybe we don't have the high places today in our culture, in our churches, where pagan gods are worshipped. We're a little more sophisticated about our idols in this culture, but we still create them. Um, Amy Haybrock put something on her Facebook page this week that I greatly appreciated, and and even though she put it on her Facebook page, I still ask her for permission to use it this morning. She put a post on her Facebook page that did a remarkable job of reminding all, all her readers what an idol is and how idols infiltrate our lives. And this is what she wrote, or what she copied and posted on her Facebook page. Our idols are what we build our identities on other than God. Our idols are anything that, that become the controlling center of our life and take priority over all other loyalties. Our idols are whatever we believe that we cannot live without. Yeah, we're a little more sophisticated. We don't put up a statue to Baal or Asher, or we don't take our churches and turn them into high places like they did the temple at Tel Dan, or at Dan, in the northern part of, of Israel. But we still have our idols. We still have that power and sex and money. We keep talking in the church that those are the, the big three. But even beyond those big three, we're very creative at creating these idols that pull us away from God. We need to remember what Paul says here. 
you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. He's going to be Lord of all of our life or not really Lord at all. Jesus refused to just, refuses to just be a department in our lives. And that's what we Americans enjoy doing. We, we Americans enjoy having a religious department to our lives that we perhaps acknowledge a little on Sundays. But that's not the Christ of the New Testament. The Christ of the New Testament is the God who makes complete demand on our lives. And this Christ in the New Testament will be part of our lives. But we have to receive this Christ on his terms, not on our terms. Again, we have the power to receive, reject, but not modify this Christ. He wants to fill our lives to fullness, as Paul says. But we have to really want him to reign and to rule in every area of our life. Not just that religious department of our lives. In the New Testament is a clear, I think, a clear picture that created the consensus of the church. In the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this Jesus was the one who came and declared from the beginning of his ministry that he was bringing to bear, bringing to reality the rule and the reign of God, the kingdom of God here in this world. And he could do that because he was the king. He was God's emissary, God in the person in this world. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus healing uh, broken bodies, and he could do that because he was the one who created the broken bodies. In the Synoptic Gospels particularly, we see Jesus casting out demons, and that reminds us that this Jesus was the ruler, Lord, over all powers and principalities. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus controlling nature. And Jesus can control nature because he created nature. Jesus can speak to the storm in your life, and that storm has to be still when Jesus speaks the word to that storm. And then we get to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, it even becomes clearer seven times in the Gospel of John. We hear Jesus saying that He is the great I Am. And that's the name that was given to Moses when Moses asked the one at the burning bush, God, what His name was. And God at the burning bush said, I am who I am. That was the name that was given to Moses, the name of God. And throughout the Gospel of John, we keep hearing Jesus saying, I am the great I am. We have the great power to receive, reject, but not modify this Jesus. We have to receive this Jesus on Jesus' terms, which means then we have to do the struggle, the grace-empowered struggle every day to turn more and more of our lives over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. One of the Christian leaders recently said that we Christians, and this was a Christian leader who said this here in the United States, said that we Christians need to quit making Jesus an idol. When a strange way she's correct, we have made Jesus an idol, but he's God. That's why we are 
idolizing him, hopefully in the correct, proper way. And what we seek to do is cast down all other idols. Every age seeks to redefine Jesus. Everybody wants to look at Jesus and find the Lord of their own making, the Lord that affirms who they are. But Jesus is asking us to receive him and allow him to be Lord of our lives so that we can walk in him, live our lives continually in him. F.B. Meyer was a great preacher of, a, of the last, well, not the last century, now two centuries ago, the 19th century, and F.B. F. B. Meyer one time said, the first act of the Christian life is to receive Christ. And every moment afterward, every moment afterward, we must continue receiving him. He wants to be Lord of every area of our lives. That's the only Jesus we see in the New Testament. As we sing our final hymn, may it truly be, may it truly be our prayer this morning. Let's stand and sing.